Anybody check out any new apps this week? They're like, what? Apps? You know, phone apps? No? We started a new series uh, called Best Apps Ever. And it's kind of based on phone apps. There's all these new apps you got out. You got an app you can tune your guitar. You got an app that'll give you directions. Um, I'm using this fishing app because I'm in this boat that doesn't have any electronics in it. And it'll actually tell me most of the time about how deep the water should be. Or, you know, I can get directions on the water. And apps are really cool. Well, we started this based not really on phone apps, but on biblical apps. And uh, we talked about how we have a tendency to come to church, to listen, to feel convicted. And because we were in the building and because we felt convicted, we see that as spiritual progress, like we're doing something good. But actually, James, the brother of Jesus, had something different to say to us. And this is the verse we're kind of basing the whole series on. He said, but don't just listen to God's Word. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. See, James knew that there would be a culture where people would gather and listen, and because they listened, they would feel convicted, and they would confuse listening and feeling convicted as real spiritual progress. And they would go, oh, I just feel close to God because, you know, I went to church and I heard three bad jokes by Lenny. And, you know, I'm a church person. And God loves me because I went to church and I feel bad about myself. I mean, what could be better than that, right? Well, James says, no, that's not spiritual progress. You've just manufactured that. That has nothing to do with walking with God. That's something that you guys have just made up. Don't deceive yourselves into thinking that I've done something genuine. I went to church. I was in the building. God looks down on me and says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you that parking spot. Once again, I endured a 30-minute sermon by Lenny. James says, this has nothing to do with listening and being in the building or being in church or enduring bad jokes. But he said this, and I left out the middle of this verse on purpose. He said, but don't just listen to God's word. You must what? Do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. So you say, isn't it enough that I attend church? Isn't it enough that I listen? James says, no, you're deceiving yourselves. And here's what we looked at. And I'll give you some of my illustrations I used when we opened the series. Listen, paint doesn't do any good if it stays in the can. Sunscreen is not beneficial if it stays on the tube. I can buy some workout machinery. I can buy a treadmill. I can buy two treadmills. I can buy 10 treadmills. They don't do me any good unless what? Unless I usually put application to my life. You see, application makes all the difference. And we also talked about the church's tendency to judge outsiders for not going to church. And we should never expect a person to act like a Christian until what? They're actually a Christian. But Scripture is, is clear. We don't get to judge outsiders. God's got that handled. But Scripture is also clear about another thing, that there's a group of people who should apply Scripture to their lives. And that should be who? Yeah, us. People who are believers, we're the ones who, uh, who should actually apply it. And James says that you must do something with what you've heard. Application is everything. So for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about some big apps, and we just had the overview when I started, but today I want you to take out your cell phones, and we're going to download the Confession app. The Confession app. I'm kidding, you don't have to take your cell phones out because we didn't really create an app, but let me say this. 
What's that? Oh, that's just a great one. I like that one. Let's make it easier. Oh, I would have put that in my sermon. Yeah. Now I'm going to talk a little bit about that because we have we all have a little bit of a Catholic background. Whether you've been to church or not, you kind of know about the way that they do that. But golly, me, you mean I don't even have to tell the priest now? I can just put it in there and maybe he reads it. Yeah, that's good. I like that one. That's a neat one. We come up with some great stuff, man. If you have that kind of background, Catholic background, uh, what comes to mind when I say confession is you think about the sacrament of penance. You're taught that if you go see a priest, you confess your sin to that priest, you're absolved of your sin. It's a routine. It's part of your lifestyle. Now, if you're a Protestant like me, we have our own system. And you see, Protestants, we feel superior to Catholics because we don't have to go to a priest. And here's the Protestant version. We're taught, before you get in bed at night, you just tell God directly about all your sins. And once you tell God all the sins you've committed, God does not remember them anymore, right? He erases them, and basically you've emptied out your sin bucket. And then you take your empty sin bucket into the next week and fill it up again. It's just awesome. And I mean, it's just this little thing we got, man. You don't even have to go to a priest. You don't even have to have an app, man. We just go directly to God. See, it's better. It's better. We feel superior because we have a better system. And I'm picking on everybody. But here's the deal. In all religious systems, Catholics, Protestants, Baptists, Presbyterian, whatever, even outside of Christianity, in all religious systems, there's a scheme in which people try to outsmart God, which is kind of stupid if you think about it, really. The Protestant one is we think God is so dumb that once I've confessed my sins, he forgets them. And so I get to repeat them, and he thinks I've done them for the first time. Basically, I uh, empty out my sin bucket. And i got a couple of verses that, that people use for this, and we kind of twist it. Here's one of them. I will forgive their wickedness, watch this, and I will never again remember their sins. That's the Word of God, the inerrant Word of God. Is that true? It is true. Does God forget your sins? No. He doesn't. I mean, he's God. This is not to be taken literal. Okay, some scriptures are meant to be taken literally, and some are not. This is figuratively. And what he's saying here, and what he means here, is if you're authentic, if you're in your heart, God judges you by your heart, if you really confess your sins, it's as if God says, let's move on. I'm not going to bring it up. You ever know anybody that, you know, you ask forgiveness and they said you're forgiven and then three weeks later they're throwing it back in your face? Any wives ever experienced that with their husbands? Yeah. And see, what this is saying is it's as if. But God, of course, doesn't forget anything. So we take that and we go, well, you know, I just get in and we make something out of it. It was never meant to be. And then here's another one we twist. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Let me ask you this. Is this true? Of course it's true. It's the word of God. Of course it's true. But then again, we kind of twist that and we make it, well, all I have to do is go through the motions and this is going to be true. But it involves a lot more than just, okay, God, I did this, this, and this. Okay, I'm going to do it tomorrow again, but, you know, it'll be cool because, you know, Jesus died on the cross. I'm going to be forgiven all my sins. But here's what I'm trying to say. In Christian confession, we've made this thing up that's just easy for us where we just kind of go to God and we have no intention to quit doing what we're doing. 
Our heart's really not in the right place. But we've been taught, well, if I just confess it privately, you know, it's going to be all right. He'll forgive me then. Go out and do it again. Confession was never created so that we could just empty our sin bucket and keep doing it again. Because after all, what good does that do? What change does that bring about? Confession, biblical, true biblical confession, was designed by God to bring about change in our lives. Because, you know, getting something out just changes everything. When you get it off your chest, you tell God, you tell a person, as James will teach us later, and make restitution. Things can change. But we have this tendency to just do this stuff and go out and confess the same thing over and over and over. And it's almost this stupid thing where we think we're trying to outsmart God. But here's the problem. Of course, you can outsmart God. But we've kind of created this loophole where we just confess and then that's it. Then you just keep living life if it's the same. Now, if you're a Catholic, the whole confession system you're accustomed to didn't show up till 600 A.D., It's not a Bible thing. It doesn't mean it's a bad thing. It's not really a Bible thing. The thing about it is it didn't begin as penance. In the Catholic system, they have penance. So you go to the priest and you tell him what your sins is and then he tells you some stuff you got to do to make it right. Say 1,500 Hail Marys, which is boring. You go through that and then you're okay. Your sins are absolved. But let me tell you something. Penance, do you know where that word penance came from? There's three R words that I want you to remember today about confession. Three R words. And penance actually was taken from this other word, repentance. That's where that word comes from. So when the system was first created in Catholicism, you would go to the priest and you would confess your sin to the priest. And the thought would be, you wouldn't do it anymore. So if you went to the priest a week or two later and you confessed the same sin, the priest would be like, whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute, buddy. Time out. I thought you confessed that two weeks ago. I did. Well, you're doing it again. I know. Well, that's not how it works. The idea of confessing something is that you won't do it again. It's repentance. You guys know what repentance means? Repentance. Let me tell you what repentance comes from. So if you go back 2,000 years and you're living in a desert region, okay, that Jesus lived in, you would be riding in what? A Camaro? No. A what? A Mustang? <laughs> Closer. How about, the, no one's ever developed a car called a camel. We got to get a car called a camel. It'd be really slow. It would be able to go a long ways. But no, seriously, you'd ride a camel. And there was a term that they would use to tell a camel where to go. And it was repent. So if you were on a camel and you were riding and you said, repent, what the camel would do would be, he would do a complete 180 and go in the other direction. And that's where that word comes from. So the biblical word repentance means I'm going one way. I'm going in the complete opposite direction that I was going. So true repentance is I'm doing this, I'm doing this. Guess what? I'm not doing this anymore. And confession, true confession deep in your heart involves repentance. Where you're going to God and you say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, God. But it involves me not doing it anymore. And so Protestants, you know, we feel like we have this better system, but actually it's all just this kind of thing. God doesn't forget. If you read scripture, do you ever read anything in there about any sin at all? 
Everybody's going, yeah, yeah. So God didn't forget, right? He wrote the Bible, right? I mean, remember David and... Don't say it in case God's forgotten. Of course he didn't. Yeah, David and Bathsheba is recorded in the Bible. And we have to understand that God doesn't forget. Another thing that we do with confession is a lot of times confession is just all about me. See, the reason I like my Protestant form of confession is because I don't have to tell any of y'all. I don't have to tell my wife or my kids or anything. I just go and it's about me just talking to God. And you know what? It clears my conscience. I feel better about myself. I'm going to go do the same thing tomorrow. But for that night, it makes me feel better about myself so I can go to sleep. But see, this is wrong too. It's all about me. It always involves more. It involves more than just confessing to God. It starts with that. Genuine confession is the first step towards something different. Biblical confession involves repentance, okay? But then there's this R word number two that I want you to know too. Repentance. But you know what? Genuine biblical um, confession leads to reconciliation. Because it's always about relationships and the people that we're around. True confession leads you back to that person to make things right with that person. False confession is, oh, you know, it's just me and God. Real confession is I'm going to tell God I'm sorry, and then I'm going to go tell you I'm sorry. And that's scary. That's hard. But see, it results in change. And the whole purpose of confession is change. Here's the big idea. Genuine confession leads to genuine change. Genuine confession leads to genuine change. And that's what confession was given to us for. God never intended for us to come up with these games that make us feel better about ourselves and relieve our conscience. Uh, Religious systems have done that. In fact, if you look at all of Scripture and you look at confession, you'll never see it paired with conscience. Old Testament, New Testament, not even one time is it about relieving your conscience. It's always attached to confessing our sins, watch this, to other people. People who we've sinned against. People that can hold us accountable to make sure there's repentance and reconciliation. Now I want to give you some examples about confession. In the Old Testament, God delivered the nation of Israel out of slavery. And they really didn't know anything about how to live because they'd been slaves for hundreds of years. So all they really knew about was how to be a slave. And being a slave is easy. All you have to know is, yes, master, and then just do it. Right? Okay, they didn't really have any rules. They really didn't have a society. You're just told what to do and you do it. And so God gave them a social order in the Old Testament. And here's what he said about confession. Check this out. This is huge. comes from Numbers 5, 6, and 7. God says this. He says, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. If any of the people, men or women, betray the Lord by doing wrong to another person, they are guilty. That is, you do something against them. It could be a verbal wrong. It could be a theft wrong. Anybody who mistreats another person. Isn't it interesting? It says they're betraying the Lord. It doesn't say they're betraying that person. They're betraying the Lord. And we like to go to church and get on our knees and say, God, you and I are cool. You know, I know I did that thing to them, but you and I are cool. And God is like, no. If you have something or somebody else has something against a person, you and I are not cool. 
There's another passage in Scripture where a guy's bringing his offering to the Lord, but he has a deal with some other person, and God says, no, 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 no. Don't bring your offering to me. First what? Go make things right with that person, then I'll receive your offering. People think, oh, I don't like that person. I hate that person. You know what I mean? I don't know how Bill tolerates him, but me and God are cool. And God's like, no, me and you are not cool if you and them are not cool. Because it's always about relationships. Even in the Old Testament, God said to Moses, make sure everybody knows that if you treat someone badly, you've offended God. These things go together. That's my point. Verse 7. It says, they must confess their sin. Watch this. This is our word number three. Okay, we got repentance. We got reconciliation. And here's the R word number three. They must confess their sin and make full what? Restitution for what they've done. That is payback. Make it right. It doesn't stop with, oh, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. I didn't mean to. And God's like, no, no, no. If we're going to keep relationships on this earth going like they're supposed to go, and if we're going to have peace amongst people, there must be restitution for the wrong that we've done. And we're like, okay, can we stop there? And God says, no, I'm not quite finished yet. Check this out. Make full restitution for what they have done. Check this. Adding an additional what? 20% and returning it to the person who was wrong. And that's the restitution part. See, there was a system. Confession in the Old Testament and confession in the New Testament, as I'm going to show you, involves restitution, which brings about reconciliation, which is true repentance. Those are the three words when it comes to the confession. It wasn't just between God and man. It was between God and man and people and people. And after this law was given, hundreds and hundreds of years goes by, and the Jews are keeping these laws. Jesus shows up, and I want to share a story with you. Jesus is teaching. He's preaching. It says this in Luke 19, starting with verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. And okay, tax collectors were Jewish people hired by Rome to collect taxes from the people for Rome. Everybody knows that, right? Okay. What you might not know is, in order to run that business, they got to charge extra. Okay, They got to add on. Now, there should have been some system from Rome that said, okay, you charge this much extra, but guess what? It's not what they did. So guess how much extra they could charge? Whatever they decided to. I'm Zacchaeus, you know what I mean? I'm going to charge. Some of them may have charged 20%. Some of them made 30, 40. And guess what? If you didn't pay that, guess what they would do? They would call a Roman guard. Guess who'd come knocking on your house? A Roman guard. And when I mean guard, I don't mean one person guard. I mean Roman guard. Multiple professional guys. And I'm not going to go into it because this is church, but it wasn't pretty. It was brutal. It was criminal. It was horrific. Kids got scarred. This was a horrible thing. So people generally just paid their taxes because they didn't want the Roman guard to come to your house. You want anybody to get hurt, maimed, killed. It was bad. So as a result of this, Jewish people love tax collectors, right? Now you're starting to get an idea of why in the Bible. I mean, they even had their own category. You hear in the Bible, there are sinners and what? It's like they got their own category. Okay, sinners, you know, the murderers, the kidnappers. Oh, but then there's the tax collectors. Their own category. Horrible people. 
They would tax their own people. They were traitors. And it was a very, very horrible thing. And Zacchaeus, it says here, he was a chief tax collector, which means he had a bunch of tax collectors under him, and he'd get a cut from each of them. And he was very rich. And people, you know, they just hated him. We think the IRS is bad. Hey, you learn about what they were doing back then, you'll love the IRS. They're great. Let's read on. Verse 3. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, come quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. So Jesus eats dinner with Zacchaeus. And you know what? I would have loved to know what the dinner conversation was like. The Bible doesn't tell us. I don't know what Jesus said to Zacchaeus. Maybe he warned him about the love of money. Maybe he talked to him about theft. Maybe for the first time in a long time, someone accepted Zacchaeus. I don't know what happened. But something happened to that man that day. And his attitude changed. It had this great impact on Zacchaeus. Look at verse 8. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back 20% like the Old Testament said. That's not what it says, is it? He says, I'll give them back four times as much, which probably tells you how much he was stealing. In other words, I'm going to confess. I'm going to own up to what I've done, and I'm going to make restitution. Now let's listen to what Jesus says. And Jesus said unto him, Zacchaeus, don't get carried away. Thou hast confessed, and it is enoughth that thou hast confessed thy sin to me in private. Is that what it says? No, it doesn't say that, does it? Some of you are laughing. Some of you are like, what is he doing? But isn't that what we do? We put a lock on it. It's nobody's business. It's just in between me and God. And the God of the Bible says, no, it's between you and me and everybody you've affected. That's who it's between Zacchaeus met with Jesus. He felt convicted. But he didn't see that as spiritual progress and continue on with his life. He could have. He could have even said, I'm sorry, Jesus. But as James has already taught us, he would have only been fooling himself. And when Jesus showed up at Zacchaeus' home, we don't know what he said, but Zacchaeus said, this is between me and God and everybody I've offended. Now I want to make it right. And here's what Jesus really said. This is just awesome. Verse 9, Jesus responds, Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be, watch this, a true son of Abraham. In other words, he just doesn't walk the part. He's a real believer. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. There was a reason Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house. Jesus didn't say, oh, you don't need to start paying people back. You don't need to make this public. Jesus said, absolutely. That's what confession is. Genuine confession leads to genuine life change. And think about this. If Zacchaeus is going to go to all this trouble, think about what that looked like. These people hated him. He's going to have to invite, I need you to come to my place. And they had to come. 
If Zacchaeus calls you, he's a chief, you got to come. You're like, what is it now? Is he going to give me, you know? And Zacchaeus sits down one by one by one. I'm sorry, Jim. I've been stealing from you and your family for years. Can you imagine the people? Is this Zacchaeus? Has he lost his mind? Here's four times what I took from you. Can you forgive me, brother? And that just one family. Then he had another, the next family. Then the next family. Then the next family. Then the next family. Over and over and over. And here's what I want you to get. If Zacchaeus is going to go to all this trouble, what's he not going to continue doing? The same thing he's been doing. He's not going to steal anymore. You see, genuine confession leads to genuine change. And that's what it's about. That's what confession is about. That's what God knows. That if we get it off our chest, we're not going to continue to do it. Repentance, reconciliation, restitution. Our tour guide, James, gives us some great advice on confession. He says this, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And righteous person here means believer. A lot of people see this and they go, I got to go to the pastor. He's the only righteous. Let me tell you something. Pastors aren't any more righteous than anybody else. Righteousness only comes from Jesus. So when you look at this verse and you need to find you a righteous person, you need to find you a believer. That's all it is. Just a believer. And it has great power and produces wonderful results. There's something healing about telling others your struggles. That's why small groups are important. Part of the benefit comes from them praying for that struggle. And then there's the accountability. And James is saying, open up your lives to each other. If you've ever been in a recovery ministry, you know, or anything, 12 steps or celebrate recovery, this is all they do. And here's what I want you to know about the recovery ministries and why they work. They're not in the Bible for recovery from addictions to drugs or alcohol. They're in the Bible as recovery for sin, for stuff that it could be anything. That's why it works on everything. You know what I mean? You have, they have Alcohol Anonymous. They have all these different groups for debt or for whatever it is. It works. But there's something healing about sitting and telling somebody and letting God's truth and light shine in. Because what James knew and what many of us know from experience is that secrets, when we keep them to ourselves, are like splinters. The longer they're there, kind of the worse they get. And the best thing to do with a splinter is get it out. And the best thing to do with a secret sin that just keeps going over and over, and we all got them, guys. I'll raise my hand. If nobody else has any of that stuff in their life, I'll just raise them. Me. We could just say me. It's just like it keeps going on and on and on and on. And it just gets worse. God's like, I know you're sorry. You don't have to tell me you're sorry anymore. Let's just skip that. What I would like for you to do is handle this in such a way that there's change. That's why James says, confess your sins to your brothers. See, the Catholics, we like to put them down. But at least you're talking to a person. You know what I mean? In that scenario, you know, Protestantism, we say ours is better. But I'm like, they're both broken. True confession leads to true change. And I'm going to get uh, real personal for a second. If you have a secret sin, a habit, no matter what it is, and you're in the rhythm of telling God you're sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but there's no change, you need to understand there's a word for that. 
You're not going to like this. But there's a word for that. And you probably know what the word is. But let me give you an example so we can bring that word about. Let's just pretend for a moment. You pretend you're a business owner and you've just hired me. Uh, Bill told you I'm a little underemployed, so you brought me into your business. It's a cash business, okay? And I'm working the cash register for you, and I come to work every day, and everything's looking good. But you notice, you know, at the end of the week, there's two or 300 bucks missing every week, you know? And I don't know, man. I don't think Lenny would steal from us. So you put a camera in, and sure enough, you see me taking 300 bucks, and I put it in my pocket. I go home. So you do what any good business owner would do. You bring me in, you confront me. And I say, oh, golly, you know, you're right. You're right. But before you get too upset, you need to understand a few things. I'm a Christian. And I want you to know that when I take that $300 for you, it's okay because I go down. And before I go to sleep, you know what? I tell God, God, I'm sorry for taking that 300 bucks. And do you know what? I even support the church with that money I stole from you. I tie 10% of that money. So can't this thing be cool? What would you say? You know what I think you would say? You would say, Lenny, there's a word for that. You are a hypocrite because you got this little thing with God and it doesn't work that way. So let's flip this around. When we come to church, when we, yeah, we're Christians, yeah. But when we, all our confession has to do with us just telling God ourselves every night, but we just keep doing the same things. Guess what we are? That's not what confession is. It's not this little routine we've got. And God doesn't forget. He's patient. He's kind. But if that describes you, you've got this thing where you're just confessing and confessing, but nothing's changing. I've got an idea about this, a suggestion, and I'm serious. Would you please change that? And I'm not being facetious. Would you do something like this? Would you please be willing to pray honestly and quit playing the confession game that dishonors God and dishonors you? I want you to pray prayers like this. Father, you know all things. You know what I've done today. I have no plan to stop doing it. Amen. It's honest. And maybe if you do that, you'll just let enough of that line shine in that things will begin to change. And I'm being completely honest with you. I have prayed prayers like this. God, I got this deal. And I just can't stop. I don't know what it is. And I'm not saying, really, forgive me. I'm just like, you're going to have to do something, God. You're going to have to do something, God. And we're back to this recovery ministry thing. It keeps reminding me of it, where we admit we are powerless to change without that help from God, without that light shining in. Listen, yes, the Holy Spirit can do whatever He wants. If you're living on a desert island, then the way we're confessing is fine. But if people are around... God has designed the world where, yes, we would ask God to forgive us, but he would surround us with people. They're praying for you. The prayer of a righteous person availeth much and wonderful results. People are praying for you and people are holding you accountable. And there's something about unloading stuff. I mean, all of us have experienced this. It's just like a load off of your chest. You don't have to carry it, watch this, alone anymore. See, if I've got something that I'm messed up with and I confess to all you, guess who's not carrying the total load anymore? We're carrying it together. We're working together. We're praying together. And that's where we find the healing. And so if you've got this habit, let's just start being honest with God. But let's quit playing the games. Let's allow God's light to shine in. 
Let's be honest. It's a simple thing. You tell God, you tell the person, and you make restitution. And there are habits and addictions that you will never break on your own. It takes a group to do that. Timeless truth. The consequences of concealment are far worse than the consequences of confession. They are. See, we think, oh man, man, I'm, I'm not going to tell these people because they won't like me anymore. I'm just going to keep this thing. And you know what? It festers. It gets worse. It spreads. It can be generational. We're seeing our kids do stuff. I'm like, I thought we had that, Jesus. But you get it out. You get it on the table. You deal with it. See, secrets grow. They get stronger. They get darker. They impact generations. But when you get stuff out on the table, man, it could just, it could just go away. I remember years ago, we were at district conference. Bill was there. We were at Deltona Alliance. I don't know how long it's been, maybe six years ago or so. And there was this guy named Ken Sand. He wrote all the Peacemaker books. He's a nice, soft-spoken man. He's like our Ken, you know, just a nice guy. He's talking, and I was kind of surprised because he kept telling stories about how rude he was to his wife and how mean he was to his wife. I'm like, this is the Peacemaker man. And he's mean to his wife and rude to his wife. And something weird started happening to me when he told those stories. I started feeling convicted. You know why? (laughs) That's exactly what I do to April. And I was like, oh, man. It was heavy. It was one of those moments God was working on me. God was going, yep, you too. Chuck Hughes, our district superintendent at the time, was down there. I'm like, I'm going to walk in front of all these pastors and tell my boss, all these pastors can see me confess I'm a jerk to my wife. Because I was a jerk to my wife. And still am occasionally. And, you know, because I wanted it to change. And so I'm like, I'm going down. And it was lunchtime. I'm like, I'm going down. And these guys, come on, Lenny, we're going to lunch. They pulled me away. You know what I mean? No, we're going to go to lunch together. Come on. And a bunch of us went to lunch together. And I thought, well, maybe that wasn't God. Maybe I'm making too big of a deal out of this thing. And I didn't confess. And so we go into the next session. And he keeps telling stories about being mean to his wife. And I'm like, Oh, and my heart just got so heavy. And you got to understand, all these pastors who I'm friends with, I don't want to confess in front of them. And my boss up there, my district superintendent, my worship team leader was there with me by my side. And I just said, I just can't do this anymore. So I looked at my worship team leader. I go, I need to go up front. Will you go with me? And he's like, yeah, what's going on? And so I went down there and I told Chuck Hughes, and uh, I, I told our worship team leader, Craig Slazak, I said, you know, when Ken tells these stories about being mean to his wife, being rude to his wife, snapping at his wife, I'm so convicted because I do the same thing all the time. And when I said that, I just started bawling, just crying and weeping. There's a hundred pastors around me. They're like, well, is Lenny in sin? Yes, Lenny's in sin. I tell you that story to tell you this. I'm not a perfect husband. But you know what? My wife started realizing a change in me. Something broke in that moment when I confessed to God. But not just God. I confessed to my, I just laid it out. I said, I'm tired of this. I don't want to be this way anymore. I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good father. This needs to be broken. Something was broken. 
It was something like chains were just fell off of me. And I have a tendency to be a jerk, so I have to watch it. But if you talk to April, and you can, I don't care. You can ask her about that. And she'll go, yeah, there was a change from that moment forward where Lenny was softer, more gentle, not so critical of me, not so mean. Husbands, we don't need to be mean to our wives. We're there to protect them. And that's my little story. I just wanted to share that and confess that with you. And there are other things I'm sure that will come up. But, but let me ask you this. What's in your bucket? What have you been telling God about as if he didn't know, but there's no change, there's no freedom, you're not a different person? You're just a church person playing the confession game. What do you need to tell and who do you need to tell it to? Because let me tell you this. Here's my message. Confession is an extraordinarily powerful thing. And it's a part of the sequence of events that brings about real change. And genuine confession always leads to genuine change. A lawyer went up to Jesus one time and he thought he could trick him because he was uneducated, supposedly. He said, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus looked at him and he said, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He nailed it. The guy was probably like, oh, he knows. But then he went on. What did he say? And the second is like unto it. Love what? Your neighbor as yourself. Genuine confession is in between you and God and you and everybody else. Listen, we all mess up. We're all broken. Don't be afraid Don't think they won't like you. You know what people will do if you confess to them? This is what they'll think. They'll think you're human. They'll think you're honest. They'll think you're brave. And it will bring about genuine change. Luke 19, 9 and 10. Jesus responded to Zacchaeus. Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. Let's be true sons and true daughters of Abraham. And quit playing games. And let ourselves be healed. Pray with me. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Father, I thank you so much for your Holy Spirit that convicts us. Father, I pray for everyone that can hear the sound of my voice, Lord, that this confession game that we've invented in the Protestant church and Catholic church, that we would stop playing it and we would start doing biblical, genuine confession so that we could be healed, so that we could change, so there could be reconciliation. God, help us to be like Ken Sand. Help us to be peacemakers. Lord, we're going to need your help to do this. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you empower each person that can hear my voice to start applying genuine biblical confession so that there could be healing and genuine change. And I trust you'll do this because I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.